At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. The star and namesake Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College, where Victor is right now, as you're listening, teaching. He's got an annual two-week stint that he does at Hillsdale, and we are recording several podcasts uh, to make sure that you don't go without Victor while he's away. So on today's podcast, we're going to talk about one of Victor's recent columns for American Greatness and a few of the reader questions. Many, many, many were hundreds sent in, and we've picked a few to populate these podcasts. Victor is, uh, yeah, I got to say, Victor, Victor writes a lot, right, Victor? You just, uh, before the podcast, he told me, he, he wrote about like 20, 30,000 words of copy this week for various things. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a madman. But much of what he writes, or a significant portion of that, can be found at his website, victorhanson.com. I urge you to subscribe. It's $5 just to stick your toe in the water. You wish you had done that a long time ago, $50 for the year. That's victorhanson.com. Now, we are going to get to Victor's explanation, thoughts for one of his recent pieces at American Greatness. It's called The Worst and the Stupidest. And we're going to hear that right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. It's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or... Visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one. 
In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Today's podcast, or the podcast we're recording right now, should be up on the World Wide Web's on September first. So, Victor, yeah, before um, you parted for um, Michigan to do your Hillsdale gig, you wrote a uh, one of your great lengthy essays at American Grace, Greatness: The Worst and the Stupidest. So, if you talk a little bit about about this particular piece, and then I've got some questions from readers that have to do. Uh, with uh, demographics and and kind of a death <laughs> looks like a death spiral that's happening in the Western world. And then, uh, you know, a personal question about, um, um, well, I'll get to that <laughs> when we get to that. But anyway, Victor, would you talk about this, uh, this great essay you wrote, uh, The Worst and the Stupidest? Well, we had this David Halberstam, I think the best and the brightest, and that was a critique of so-called, uh, you know, the um, JFK era of Camelot, that we were going to get people from all uh, the corporate and academic world. And these people are going to, whether it's Arthur Schlesinger, or Bobby Kennedy, or you name it, they were going to bring their expertise. It was sort of like the technocratic class that emerged out of 19th century France, and they were going to be experts. And that legacy has still stayed with us. And they're not. What I was suggesting in this column is that if you look at what makes somebody an expert, what is it? Is it their zip code sometime? Is it their net wealth? Maybe. Is it the letters after their name? B-A, M-A, J-D, M-D, M-B-A, Ph-D? Yeah. Is it the title before? Assistant provost to the president, acting dean. FBI, yes, Anthony Fauci type of titles. So then if you just forget all of that and look what has actually happened, are they an elite? And I think they don't have any record. We're, look at the country. I mean, what I'm getting at is look at the country, what makes it work and what makes it not work. So who were the people who dreamed up the idea to voluntarily cut back on fossil fuels when Biden came in, and then to beg the Venezuelans, the Iranians, the Russians, and the Saudis to pump what we would not. Was it because frackers were lazy? Was it because horizontal drillers in North Dakota said, I can't do it anymore, sorry. No, it was because of our green ideological zealots, our incompetence, or the people who don't know anything about classical deterrence, and they would dare to ask Russia to pump more oil. Who are the people, when you see all these videos, Jack, of all these people that are playing the knockout game, they're hitting people in the head, they're kicking Asian women down the stairs, they're carjacking. Was that because the police are racist or they are incompetent or they can't control crime? No, they can control crime. They can do it in a very good way. Right. I don't mean good in the sense of tough necessarily alone, but what I'm saying is that most of the post-George Floyd indictments against the police were false. If you look at the 11 million people arrested per year and you want to see how many unarmed people were shot by the police versus their demographics, it was about 
of the people who were arrested, not of the general population, which would be not a very useful way to calibrate that. The police didn't shoot African-American unarmed people more than they did white unarmed people on the basis of how many people are arrested or come in contact with them. So why are they doing these things? It's because of what? Critical legal theory dreamed up and enacted by George Soros, who's district attorneys, city attorneys, university ideas about indictments are not necessary, incarceration is not necessary, we no cash bail, et cetera, et cetera. So I could go on, but you get the impression that the middle class has stayed competent. You know, when I look at the incomplete high-speed rail right next to my house, what I call Stonehenge, that shut down my my avenue for two years. I can't drive on it and get anywhere because I get to work. I have to make this circuitous delay because of this. It's not because people can't weld or pour cement. It's not because people forgot the surveyors or the engineers can't do it. It's because of our legal class, our political class, and our environmental class. And so they don't deserve the respect that they demand. And when Merrick Garland, what prompted me was Merrick Garland's little sanctimonious Pete Buttigieg-like sermon about the professionalism. How dare you impeach the DOJ? I said, well, whose DOJ is that? Sally Yates that resurrected the ossified Logan Act to go after Michael Flynn? Or maybe you were talking about Rod Rosenstein, who wanted to wear a wire, we were told, to basically enact the 25th Amendment against his own president. Or maybe it's Bruce Orr and his wife, Nellie, that conspired to get the Steele dossier into the bowels of government and thereby legitimized for the press dissemination. Or maybe it's the FBI and Robert Mueller and Comey and McCabe and Christopher Ray. So these institutions, I could go on, Lois Lerner, they don't deserve our respect not the top hierarchy. They may have uh, big salaries. They may have big titles. I was driving home yesterday from a doctor's appointment, Jack, and you know who was on Fox with Neil Cavuto? Or your um, friend with your accent. <laughs> go ahead. Who? Anthony Fauci. Oh, gosh. And Anthony <laughs> with my Yeah, with my high school and college pedigree also. Yes. Got the and he that. said the following. Right. He was asked if he had any regrets that he had shut down the country and he's you know urged to shut down the country and lobbied to shut down the country and he said i didn't do that that's another misinformation and so i so this is what's funny i came home furious and i went straight to a computer to go do the laborious searches of all the times he said i advertise we have to shut down the country we've just got to do it i'm going to urge that and i didn't even have to do that Within a nanosecond, there was on the Internet somebody who had all the clips of him saying that. And they were numerous. And so when you look at that guy and he still lies that he uh, helped to fund gain of function research in the lab and he lies that he he said, I was open minded about the origins. Remember that? No, he wasn't. He was so happy of that fraudulent Lancet investigation right. and Peter Daszak stack. So I could go on, but the point is that these people that we are supposed to defer to are more or less 
responsible for why you can't walk into the downtown of a major city or why there's homeless people defecating on the streets or why we're 30 trillion dollars in debt or somebody dreamed up the idea that no border or blew it up with dynamite or whatever they did on the southern border and it was not not the middle class that did that the border patrol can control the border if you let them and there are people that are practical that can control the homeless problem and there are police that know how to stop this crime wave and it was not a captain or a major and a colonel that dreamed up the afghanistan skedaddle it was our elite and they never ever uh man up to the disasters that they inflict on us right and i think it has something to do with this again robert mcnamara type technocratic pretenses that they have a science and they're trained and they speak in a particular vocabulary of circumlocution. And, right. And, and I think everybody's sick of them. I think, you know what? They just say that guy's a liar. I, the I wife know. and I have a, have a game now when we watch okay. the news and there's one of these characters, whether it's Andrew McCabe coming on saying he's where you are, Peter Strzok talking about, the, we just say, he's a liar. He's lying. She says to me, ah, she's lying. He's lying. Yeah, I think everybody does that now. They have no respect for these people. Right. And I, I'm not going to stop criticizing them. I did that with a number of retired generals that, you know, they retire, they go from the, the corporate lobby or the defense contractor board back into the Pentagon to refresh their familiarity. And then they go back to the corporate board or there's a there is something called Article 88 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Do not disparage a commander in the chief. And they say, screw that. And they didn't, I'm general somebody. I'm admiral somebody. And Trump is Mussolini. And he put Auschwitz cages at the border. I can say whatever I want. Screw you. And yet, if you're another general, as we said before, and you make fun of Jill Biden, you're going to lose your contract. Right. So I don't have, I, I just don't respect them. I don't respect, I don't mean blanketly and collectively and nonsensically, but there's a lot of these people that why should I listen to what Francis Collins at the CDC says or what Anthony Fauci says at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases? Right. Amen, my friend. It's just, just staggering how you know, it, bra it just, brazen they are. It, um, it is. I, I'll just give you I shouldn't mention names, but I'll give you one last example very quickly because I know that I run off at the mouth. But I was at Hillsdale College a year ago. And I was sitting right. next to a doctor, Sam Pappas. He's a wonderful doctor. He has a lot of expertise in mastocytosis, mass problems, but especially now in long COVID. And we were just talking. And he mentioned all of these things that were, he didn't say, go do this. But he said, you know, if a person were to get COVID, there are off-label. He didn't talk about ivermectin, hydro. He just said that this scientific study suggests that this combination of two antihistamines, right, or an H1 or an H2 blocker in combination, or he said, and he didn't advocate them. He just said, and then there's other people, other people who advocate this type that in double blind studies. And what he was trying to lay out for me was, should you ever get COVID, we're not helpless and we're not going to work. We're not going to rely on blogs or personal idiosyncratic, this help for me, but there are reliable double-blind studies of off-label use and certain things that had efficacy, not cure, but efficacy. And he, he named them for me. And then I 
the next day I, I was, I think it was a Friday. I was watching Saturday news and here was Anthony Fauci. And he was telling us that this $45,000 dose designer, big pharma drug was, you know what I mean? And this, mm-hmm. it, it was no longer, you know, two boosters and you're free, but now, I mean, two shots and you're free. Now it was three shots and four <laughs> shots. And so what am I getting at is there's people like Dr. Pappas all over the United States, doctors, they're not crazy and they are on the front lines and they're trying to make people who get infected and they're near death and they're trying to save them. And they come up with all sorts of legitimate usages. Some of them I know are cranks, but they're not the majority. They are our middle class, upper middle class doctors, but the right. elite, they don't treat patients and they they are tied in with big pharma and right. they are, t- they, I really believe that, you know, and but to, so, to ban, to actually ban drug use, the use of certain drugs as a, as a, as an F you to Donald Trump. I mean, political. I didn't even mind them saying this. If they said the following, if they said the following, and I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm not a doctor, but if they had said the following in double blind studies, we finally learned that hydroxychloroquine does not have efficacy, nor does ivermedicine. Okay. I don't right. know if that's true or not, but if they had said that, but if some people anecdotally use it, we discourage the use because we discourage any use of a prescription drug for an off-label use and that we don't have pure scientific use. But these drugs have been identified by the World Health Organization as vital drugs, and they will not, they have a long multi-billion dosage history, and they are not going to, unless it's, for the majority of patients, they're not as dangerous or as unknown in their effects as modern, modern monoclonal antibody or antiviral drug. Right. It's just true. Rexavoid right. may be a wonderful drug, but we don't know anything about it compared to hydroxychloroquine. Right. And as I said on an earlier broadcast, I know two or three people who are taking it. I don't mean taking it. I mean, taking it for 30 years for lupus, mm-hmm. they swear by it. It saved them and they're old. I don't mean extremely old, but I mean, you would think they would have a lot of comorbidities and they, it's a safe drug. And, you know, ivermedicine, I've talked to people who come from Mexico who've used it. I've talked to people all over who've used it. And so my point is, I don't know if they have battle uh, that if they have efficacy but i do know that what the medical profession does is that they imply that because donald trump's fingerprints were on them or referenced them right they're they're deadly and that's a politicalization just as i said earlier i think it was the sammy that they knew that that the pfizer and moderna had some initial spectacular results in preventing the first strain Right. Uh, that in early October or late September of 2020. And they deliberately, Pfizer in particular, they deliberately held off that announcement that it was going to work. And we know that. We know that right. until after because of p- communications and the board members. And they were contact, they were in contact uh, with the Biden campaign via intermediaries the whole 2020. And they calibrated that announcement until after the election because they were afraid that it would. So I don't have a lot of confidence. I have an enormous amount of confidence in doctors and labs all over the United States at Harvard, Yale. They're doing their best to find 
but the the professional people right. that are in the government, like Fauci, they adopt a particular bureaucratic orthodoxy, and then they control grant money and right. and they are the entree to the livelihoods of thousands of doctors, and they abuse that power right for their own sake. Follow the money. Always the, the two big issues, the two big directives of our time. Are, you know, right now, understand would, projection and follow the money. Yeah. If, I think. If any candidate said on the Republican side, if nominated and elected, this is what I promise to do. I promise to make Jay Bacharia the head of the CDC. I promise to make John Yanides the head of the NIH. And I promise to make Scott Atlas the head of health and human services. I'd vote for them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would. I would well, because yeah, it, no, I, yeah. I, I trust what they said. Yeah. And it would be because the next round and it's coming of some COVID uh, variant or something like COVID, they would be somebody that would be humble about it. And they would uh, look at things in a cost benefit rather than an ideological yeah. matrix. Well, as long as that president created the office of uh, consigliere, and appointed Victor Hansen to that position. No, I, 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 he definitely, as Clint, <laughs> yeah. Clint Eastwood said, a man must know his limitations. Well, okay. Hopefully, well, he, 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 may, he may have. We'll, 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 we'll uh, fact check that. Um, your limitations, I, I'm pretty sure, are not limited to, to the next questions we will ask, and that's about demographics and destiny and we will get to these right after these important messages have you heard of cancer fighting foods the american cancer society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower lower your risk of cancer hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day if not you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Just want to 
throw in a quick reminder that I, Jack Fowler, write Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter that offers a dozen or more suggested readings with excerpts from important pieces that have come out in the previous week. It could be about politics, policy, some uh, philanthropy. Uh, you can sign up for it at civilthoughts.com. It's a production of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. That's where I hang my hat. So, Victor, we have a couple of questions to uh, let me just give, give them to you both. And I, I had filed this under a headline Demography is Destiny. And one is from Chris, who, who writes If Russia is in demographic decline, was the Ukraine uh, war inevitable. And then the other question from David, and by the way, I read today, I think it was today or, or yesterday, that the, the decline, the birth rate decline in South Korea is so severe. Oh, it's one of the worst. It's a 1.1 or 1.2. Yeah. It's like the country's population will be cut. Taiwan, I think, is almost as bad. Yeah, it's it's a you know it's a death it's a de death uh, watch almost. But David writes, it's it becoming apparent that not only the West but the East uh, are to varying degrees entering or have already entered into a demographic death spiral with this worldwide scope. Is this unprecedented in history? And he says, sidebar, talk about the demographic effect on the economy from the Black Death. I don't know if you want to if you want to do that. And then uh, he throws in, in, in short, what is the business case for China when the whole world is retired? Uh, that, that's a bit of a side question also. But Victor, your thoughts about, uh, you know, the, the uh, we're staring this demographic nightmare, uh, in, not in the face, not only in the US, but much more severely yeah. in some other countries. It, it's, it is what I think, I don't know if I've seen it, but I would call it the Western disease. And the, society is that westernized uh even mexico i think is down to 2.2 so and we were we were 2.1 in 2000 so i think we're down to 1.6 now so we're shrinking very radically not like you know italy or germany 1.4 or 1.3 but you're right it's about south korea and taiwan and japan i think it's 1.3 so what is it? And I, it, it's the the Western combination of constitutional government, which is preferable to other alternatives, along with free market capitalism, private property, creates a lot of bounty and affluence and leisure. And we create people over generation to generation. They get wealthier. They have more leisure time. Life becomes more materialistic. We are able to satisfy the appetites. No longer do you have three stations to choose. You've got 700 to choose. You no longer, you know, have to stand in line to call Kenya. You can do it on your cell phone. So there's all sorts of stuff. You don't, if you're a pervert, <laughs> and you don't have to go to, you know, put a hoodie on and go to a porn movie. You just do it on your phone. Because I only say that because the other day I was in a, a doctor's, I mean, an office. I won't give any information. Oh my God. And somebody, really? was, somebody was doing that. I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, right next to me looking at porn. Oh, so my wow. point is that it's unchecked. And that means that a lot of people want to live in this life and they don't want to do things that detract from it, like get up at three times during the night and feed a, a baby or change diapers or you know, no sooner have you gone through the terrible twos than you have another baby, another terrible twos, and then you think you've got kindergarten, and then you've got teenagers driving, and they don't want to do that. 
or they feel that women who, after all, there are women and not just transgendered males who say they're women, but there are biological women and they are responsible for for birthing. And the male has some obligation, a lot of obligation to share those those responsibilities. But if if you have a new empowered and I'm glad we do woman working in the it makes it very hard for them to raise children childcare, et cetera. And so we have, that's another explanation of why we're not having uh, 2.2 births. So when you get that culture, that popular culture, and then, you know, you have the environmental green thing, AOC saying, I don't want to have children to bring them into a, a doomed world. And you've got all of this cultural pessimism. And then you have the combination of atheism that, you know what? Hey, everybody, you don't have a soul. So live it up because you can really, you know, dent your body and pervert it and mar it and contaminate it with sin. And <laughs> who cares? You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. It's not like, you know, some Catholic medieval scholar was right that he says you're harming your soul by giving into your physical uh, temptations. And when you go into the next world, you atone for it. Or Socrates says, you know, your your soul is like a uh, a song, and a song never disappears. It just needs a body, uh, a violin, so to speak, so you can hear it. But that just because you don't have a violin doesn't mean you know Ave Maria doesn't exist. It exists forever. That's your soul. So whether it was classical doctrine or or Christian doctrine, that is out now, and the result is that people are not having children. Right. Both for practical and for theoretical and for personal reasons. And the, what are the consequences of that? Consequences are exactly what we're looking at in the United States. We have a labor shortage, physical labor shortage, physical labor shortage. Right. Uh, by that, I mean we don't have too few diversity, equity, inclusion, $250,000 a year administrator. Although my goal, my dream, or my agenda would be to import all the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, administrators we could from south of the border and pay them far less than what we pay our current ones and then see if they like illegal immigration. Right. That's another story. But anyway, my point is, so you have a labor shortage. But the other thing is, speaking to someone who will be 69 on September 5th, your aging population then requires more and more time. You know, when you get to be in your 60s, you look at your toes and you go all the way up to the scalp and you say, is this thing working? This toe is this knee is your stomach. And they it's like a car. You know, it's after you've got one hundred and fifty thousand miles, it becomes a drag to have to keep taking it into the shop. Two hundred thousand. Well, that's what you are when you're I, I know Joe Biden went and gold and has proved that you don't really age at seventy nine, but you do. And you can see that with Fetterman, the candidate for Senate running against Oz in Pennsylvania. Right. So, and it's even a question with Donald Trump. He should be very candid about it. If he were to run again, he would be in his 80s in the second term. Right. And uh, he's not necessarily as fit as somebody else, although he's much more fit being heavy than Joe Biden is lean. But my point is this, that society then needs um, a lot more of its gross national product take care of people at precisely the time it doesn't have enough people to contribute fully to the gross national problem. Japan 
And you can really see that Japan, if you look at its medical science or its robotic science, it's kind of gauged at longevity, senescence, uh, prolonging vitality in her 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're they're on the cutting cutting edge of all that research. And robotics, artificial intelligence, all of that. And their idea is that we don't have enough people and are, we're getting old and we how do we do that? And the, the, the time bomb is China. It's got 1.4 billion, but in 50 years, it's going to have about 700 million. It and is ex- radically ex- declining. And right. somebody's going to say, well, Victor, they still have more than everybody else. I said, yes, but you don't understand the the uh geriatric. Yeah. Right. You know, they're going to be older people and they're right. going to need more and more unproductive labor to take care of them and so what do you how do you deal with it my personal view is you try to in your so-called golden years when you think you want to eat pizza and ice cream and sit in front of the tv and just say i worked hard enough i'm just going to lay back you don't want to do that not because it's unhealthy alone but you don't want people to have to disconnect from the workforce to take care of you and I mean, you want to be as productive and healthy. And I'm not speaking to someone who's been all that healthy. I think I've had nine operations. Yeah, but you're indestructible. We know but that. The point I'm making is that we all don't want that to happen. And yet we're all getting all in a greater percentage getting older. And we look at right. the younger people. I think in the dying citizen, I, I, I tried to bring the I really quoted those statistics uh, in the first two chapters because i was talking about the decline of the middle class and demographic changes and in the united states and and you know uh if you look at i had two brothers and i had um two first cousins so there were five of us we should have had uh 10 children right 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 and i had two that have I had three two survived and my um brother had uh two of his own and two stepchildren and my other brother did not and then I had my cousin had uh three and my other cousin had two and I think there were 12 all together and out of that 12 there should have been 24 and so far right there is one family has zero the other family has zero the other one and there's one two and then in addition to those one two there's three four and i have four grandchildren there's eight instead of 24. right so and that's happening in every family right and we we have prolonged adolescence where we have especially the male i don't think it's a female's culpability i think there's a lot of women out there who say i'm ready to get married just as my grandparents or parents did at 23 if need be because uh, ba- there's a backlog log against Wonder Woman. You know, I'm going to be a CEO and have two children, and it's I can do all that. I don't think mm-hmm. there's a limitations on that. But my point is, it's the male, and the male is not buying a home. He's not getting married. He's not having children. He's not fully employed. Right, he's sort of a pajama boy. It's such a crisis. It, it really is. is. It is in every family. Every family, yeah. you'll see some nephew or son or grandperson grandson who is in the basement watching video games or working you know online an hour or two or a part-time job and then as far as dating maybe he has his sexual relations with one or two 
women once in a while, but he gets no commitment. And he just right. kind of, and then he eats up with his student loans, his 20s and 30s, and then suddenly he's 40. And so that is a worry. I don't know what caused that, but I have a feeling that a contributory factor is that if you tell a child in the school that he's part of a patriarchy, right. and there's toxic masculinity, and that when you're going to be 18 and you're going to apply to college, if you're Latino or black or you're female or gay, you're going to have some uh, fee days that the university wants, but you don't get any credit if you're white male and you keep pounding that in, uh, then you're going to have people who feel, okay, I get the message and they're just going to kind of drop out. And that's, what's yeah. that's what's happened. By the way, Victor, we, we only have a few minutes left, but long term on the back on this demographic question, you know, I've probably watched Soylent Green too many times, but <laughs> uh, are, you gonna, are we supposed to be eaten? No, but, you know, there will be like imagine South Korea in 30 years or Japan. Um, and let's not forget ourselves about the proclivity of man to be be cool with getting rid of useless eaters. No, I, um, I, I believe that in the sense of uh, was it Wesley Smith at National Review that used to just, you know, right. fixate. Uh, properly oh. so on euthanasia, right? Especially right. euthanasia, excuse me, in Europe. Right, right. And you Where can see it? it in Canada, too. Right, yeah. Well, it, 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 it's it's the, the law in some, some states now, and uh, it's almost it's a, like a popular craze. I'm going to self-inflict this on myself, but sooner or later, uh, the government will be will be doing that. Uh, pray not. But uh, I, I can see that being the being the uh, outcome of a, of, a, of a world with a massive geriatric population. It's uh, and it's coming at us. I, I, I got to pray. I have to pray that the the families that populate, say, Thomas Aquinas College, where they have 13 kids and 17 kids is going to. Uh, that's what you hear. You know, that's what's so so funny is that when I was at Cal State Fresno for 20 years, I was considered a breeder because I had three children. Yeah. And yet when I go to Hillsdale and I teach them the history or philosophy <laughs> or talk to people in those departments or English, right. I mean, it's six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 children. Yeah. You're and I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's great because I don't meet neurotic, angry Hillsdale professors. I really don't. And I've spent most of my life with them in other universities. They're very happy. They're family orientated. I think there is like, something like Brad Berzer. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, Brad is a good. So yeah. David Whalen, the former yeah. provost, I don't know how many children he has, but my God, Mark Kalkoff, the chairman of the history department, all of them. I mean, they have all of these children and they're all wonderful parents and they're so well balanced uh, and concerned about their child children's upbringing and more importantly their children's contribution to society at large and they and it diverts their attention away from that narrow academic neur neuroticism right. uh, which i found all through and i've been i don't want to mention all the universities i've been guest at but right. they're pretty much a neurotic people in academia and they don't I have a feeling statistically they have far less than 2.1 children. <laughs> Probably. And, and, and uh, that's what makes Hillsdale unique is that right. they have these large families in the 19th century since. And I, I really respect that. But, uh, you know, I have a little I, I want to end the topic very quickly on a upbeat. I'm looking out the window, Jack, and I have 41 acres of almonds. 
right? I was in high school. A guy said to my dad, you take your boys and I've got 20 acres of almonds and I want, you know, I want them to harvest it. So my uh, two brothers and my cousin, we went up to over, it was in the foothills and we spent three weeks and we had uh, rubber mallets and we hit, you know, and then we, we drug uh, heavy canvases on both sides of the tree. We hit the thing and hit it and hit it and hit it to get the almonds off. And I mean, it was a laborious task. And then we pulled the canvases and we had to lift them up and we poured them into gunny sacks and we tied the gunny sacks and we left them. And then we went tree to tree and there was, I think, 140 trees per acre. So you can 20 acres, you're talking yeah. three or four, 3,000 plus. And then we came by with a bins and a, a, tra a tra tractor and we lifted these 70 pound gunny sacks and dumped them in to the bin, etc. So my point is, and we didn't finish. Yeah, there were enough hours in the day. Yeah, right. and, he, and he said to my father, who's a friend of my father, we'll pay them on $2 an hour, which I thought was a great thing. And we got $1.25 an hour. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm watching this harvest right now. First thing I notice is that there is no cross-fertilization anymore in some varieties. This is an independence variety. So you don't have to do two rows, come back three weeks later to get the other variety. It's right. all one variety. There was no bees whatsoever. There is no cultivation. Speaking of somebody who used to have to get on a tractor, and as soon as the furrows dried out, disc it with an eight-foot tandem disc, come back and sometimes have to harrow it with a cross tooth, and then come back with listers or flat furrows and make a furrow, and then repeat the process four or five times. Think of all the diesel fuel and wear and tear. Right. They don't, they has not cultivated the middle of that row in a year. What does he do? He he has a kind of a semi-organic herbicide that keeps the weeds down. The shade of the orchard discourages growth. But my point is hydrometers inject the water. Uh, they tell you when to turn the pump on. The pump comes on automatically. They inject uh, nitrogen into the, the emitters. So there's no irrigation. There's no cultivation. There's no, in this particular variety, almonds, I shouldn't say variety crop. There is no plum thinning or peach thinning. Right. There is no pruning, no pruning. And to the extent there is, a machine comes by and just knocks down a few limbs that get out in the middle of the road that obstruct if you're, you know, during harvest. And then they, I've been watching harvest. In fact, it's been the background noise on some of the uh, podcasts I can't get away from. But a machine comes, it grabs a trunk, it shakes it, it blows it away from the tree, and then a sweeper comes right after it. It blows everything. It looks like your carpet. It's so clean into a nice middle pile down the road. And then a machine comes down and scoops it up. One man in three different machines, or actually two, can do the whole 40 acres in about two days. That took us, we did 20 or five of us, we never finished. Wow, and no so, mallets. Right? Yeah, and that's happening in agriculture. And it's really funny, all the crops that we were told you can never mechanize, like raisins, you can. You can, tr you can trellis them up. You can dry them on the vine. You can have a uh, machine come by and shake the dried bunches and uh, mechanically harvest them. You can do that. So what I'm getting at is as labor becomes very expensive and scarce, 
people are doing the most ingenious things in agriculture. And I know it's still you got to have a guy out there and pick apples or plums. And right. eat, but we're getting to the point where they're even having some crazy ideas about, uh, you know, trellising trees. So the fruit is all lined up in one certain place. So a blade comes by and picks it or that wow. you, know, you have sensors that can tell when to pick on a machine. So I, I think that uh, we're adapting to a older, scarcer labor population, at least scientifically about uh, the insurance that we're going to eat and have fuel. But I'm very right. worried about the psychosocial aspects of it, right. having older people, because when you have a younger, when you, people don't have children and you violate that cardinal Greek idea, it so resonates to classical literature that you change diapers, so they change your diapers. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen, but right. that's basically why people... Uh, one of the arguments besides to replace the species that you that it was the responsibility of the family that right. the state, that the state or strangers not raise your children and that you did it. And it was the responsibility of your children that you took care of your parents. And I grew up in a multi-generational family. And well, I did. I, uh, yeah, you did too. And my I did, too. Passed, I was responsible for taking care of my grandmother. Yeah, and lived with us till she was ninety three. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's wonderful for having people in their seventies and eighties and nineties. It was one of the best experiences of my life yeah. to hang out with my seventy and eighty year olds, seventy nine year old, seventy year old Swedish grandfather who broke horses, taught me about horses, and my other maternal grandfather who taught me farming. And my grandmother, it was just wonderful. Yeah. It's um, the wisdom of ages does get does get passed on uh, that way, too. Hey, Victor, that's all uh, yeah. the time we have for this uh, podcast. I was going to I was I would ask you a question, but I think we'd, we'd go way over. <laughs> but I, I'm going to save it for the next one. And by the, I'll give you a heads up. It's about your views on Band of Brothers. But we'll get to that on an, <laughs> on, on an ensuing podcast that we will be recording shortly. So, uh, hey, thanks, everyone who listens on uh, whatever platform. And for those who listen on uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes, thanks, especially those of you who leave uh, ratings at one to five stars. And this show, we get 99.9% .9 of people leaving five-star ratings. So we must be doing something right. The more the victors, the part of the we than, than uh, Amir or the great Sammy Wink. But uh, we thank you for listening. Thanks for the, uh, re the comments you also leave. We do read them and appreciate them and take advice from them. So uh, that's about it. We will be back again soon, very soon, with another episode of the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in again. <laughs>